My name is Tom. Uh, I will be your host today. I'm from the Unlucky Frog Gaming Podcast. Uh, we're doing the recording of this, so it is recorded just for everybody's reference. Uh, this is the final seminar of today and the weekend, uh, the self-publishing RPG seminar. We've got a number of uh, esteemed guests I'll allow to introduce themselves in just a moment. Just to let you know the format of this, I'm going to do some nice softball questions to get the ball rolling, and then we're going to throw out to you guys and let you ask you want to ask uh, about self-publishing RPGs and, and put our guests on the hot seat. So uh, I'll start to my immediate left. So if you'd like to introduce yourself, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, what you've done and uh, what people might have seen your work in. Fantastic. Thank you, Tom. Hello, friends and enemies. Uh, my name is Sean F. Smith. Uh, that's he and him. Um, I'm a magician, a writer, games designer, uh, plus Dreamweaver. Um, and Frankly, if I can find a way of making it slightly more unsettling, but still that reminds you of your childhood, then it's likely I've probably made a game about that. Uh, <laughs> the most obvious and well-known ones are Quarrel and Fable, which is available in the foyer after the session, um, and Smithy of Sacrilege, both of which are essentially my homages to the like fighting fantasy game books, which kind of got me started in this entire thing. Um, typically, I tend to design a lot of things that are like light on rules, that are easily accessible for people to be able to tell good stories with their friends. Functionally, I want to have the, the absolute best review for me. It's for somebody to be able to say to their friends, do you remember the time that we did X? And that's what I'm looking for um, as the outcome of nonsense I put into the world. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Uh, and I like the plug straight out the gate. Feel free to plug your stuff. That is encouraged, <laughs> uh, if anything. Uh, and next. Hi, my name is DC Bradshaw, or just call me Dave. Um, you will probably find me on the internet under the name Curious Penguin. I'm still quite sure why I chose it, but I did. Um, what you'll know me from, uh, so I make all kinds of stuff, generally D&D related, but I've done quite a bit of indie stuff as well. My two big projects were Hard Boiled Adventures, which was a, a kind of 1940s fantasy noir take on D&D, uh, and more recently Little But Fierce, which I plug shamelessly which is my version of D&D 5e for kids as young as six. So I more recently got into that kind of family-friendly, kid-friendly RPG scene. Uh, sadly, I have no physical merch to plug, uh, but please go to dcbradshaw.com and buy my stuff. That would be wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. And next? Uh, my name's Stu Goff. Um, the main game that I'm publishing is a GN, which I kickstarted last year. It's a Greek mythology one. Uh, I'm also responsible for the Gaslight Club, which is a year zero engine uh, it's Westworld, um, and I've also published a couple of games that I haven't written, so Wild, which is a tarot card-based dream share uh, RPG, and Action Potential, which is a forged in the dark uh, cyberpunk, transhumanist cyberpunk type thing. Um, and I, I like to I like to publish other people's games because I don't know I I know what I would write, I don't know what they would write, and it's always interesting to see what other people come up with. Thank you very much. And uh, last. Um, my name is Tanya Fluker. Um, I have came to games publishing after about 15 years of anarchist and arts uh, zine distro and sort of I got into doing some fanzines for Slay Industries and for my local games club, the Edinburgh Indie Gamers. And then from there I've sort of moved over to taking some of the games I've designed in the past and putting them into to circulation. So my first uh, sort of mid-level game was BC New, a dystopian sort of surveillance culture uh, critique slash uh, sort of like exploration. Um, I've just kick-started uh, a sort of grimdark game called Low Thy Dread Empire, which is about the the end the the world the world is at a point where the death cults of capitalism have uh, almost torn reality asunder and created eternal uh, torment and turmoil. But um, as reality breaks down, the undead rise up in revolution to tear them down and liberate life and death. So, uh, and yeah, I've got some other stuff going on. Um, and I'm currently running a Kickstarter, again, for my local games club, the Edinburgh Indie Gamers. So if you see this little uh, QR code, scan it, get it, help our club stay alive, because it's a really special space. Fantastic, thank you very much. 
Um, okay, so as I said, we're going to start with the softballs uh, on the question. That's a bad phrase. Start. <laughs> <laughs> I don't usually start. Um, okay, so. <laughs> that's down the hall. Uh, okay, so um, we'll start same order uh, for answer for this question. So, um, Sean, why did you start to to make games? What was kind of the catalyst that got you interested in, in it and kind of put you down that path? So. Typically, I so I start when I was a, a tiny child. Um, I would quite often write my own, create your own, create your own adventure, like choose your own adventure books, etc. Um, including a multi-part series, and I, I must have ingested a load of like Steve Jackson's DNA in a way. <laughs> There's a multi-part series where books two and like all of them could be read in any order. Books two and three would have a, a distinct secret thing that you could only get by having an item from the other book. So there's no way you could 100% every single object in the game. So I think that that's how I started as about an 11-year-old, probably influenced a load of other stuff. Uh, when I came back to role-playing, so I, I played some stuff before I went off to university. When I came back, I was really interested in a lot of the like rules-light stuff. Into the Odd was a huge touchstone for me. And frankly, if I... It's so rare that I find something that out of the box I absolutely love. So typically I'll tinker and make things myself. I will a lot of the time run games in pubs when drunk. So I built <laughs> things from the ground up to do that. Um, and then I just got better at like condensing things down more small. And, uh, and functionally, for the same reason that I do things on stage, I think the reason that I moved into publishing them was essentially to be seen and to have a thing that just stands out as being something slightly different anyway. Um, so so yeah, because there there are not enough people that look like me that comment in the world. <laughs> uh, this this is a joke. Um, I am a white bearded man. <laughs> okay, uh, same question uh, for yourself, Dave. So as another white bearded man. <laughs> no, um, no. So why did I do this? Uh, I don't even know. Um, so I started kind of young as well with this. I think I started off with uh, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay and stuff like that. I went through the Games Workshop route of things, so Hero Quest, uh, Warhammer, all that kind of jazz. Um, uh, and I became a teacher, which was a foolish idea. Um, but it was really useful because it meant I could be creative in a variety of different ways. Um, I was from a kind of maths background, so my brain always does the kind of mechanical stuff quite well. But also, in a completely different turn of events, um, uh, I did kind of stuff like Shakespeare teaching as well. So I've always loved the kind of creative side as well. So those parts of my brain were always whirring. And the second I kind of rediscovered the hobby um, and actually played D&D for the first time, you know, quite late in life, um, I thought, well, actually, let's have a crack at this. You know, if you know, all kinds of people can do it, let's go for it. Let's uh, produce content and, you know, see what people enjoy. And 90% of my stuff is because I come up with a good pun. Um, and it's like, well, I've got to do something with that. Hence the fact I made a kid-friendly game called Shroomanji, which is exactly <laughs> what it sounds like. Is it, it shrooms or shrews? Shrews. Small anthropomorphic shrews that look like The Rock and Jack Black. Oh, my God. Shroomanji would be a, an interesting uh, yes. product as well. Not for, not for kids. Though. We're not encouraging that, but <laughs> it could work. Uh, and Stu, for yourself, uh, obviously for the publishing side of things, what was the prompt for you? As another white-bearded man, um, <laughs> I, don't know, I, I don't know what got me started. I kind of liked tinkering with systems. Like, you, you run a game and it's not quite right. You know, something doesn't quite gel or something, and you kind of want to fix it. And then I kept kind of working from that, so I fixed something. And then, well, that had something broken, and I wanted to fix that, and that kind of pushed me forward. Um, so that got me interested in designing games. Uh, publishing, a mate of mine had had a game sitting there for like two or three years. Well, no, actually, it was about ten years now that he'd been working on it. He had been working on it. Um, and it kind of... I'd, I'd gone through the process myself. I'd done the small Kickstarter, done uh, Zine Quest, and I kind of knew what... I vaguely knew what I was doing. I wouldn't say I know what I'm doing. <laughs> um, but that was... It kind of annoyed me that he wasn't doing the same thing. You know, he was... He had this, this great idea, um, like tarot cards as a concept, and he was working on it and he was getting there, but he was just kind of going over it and over it and over it. And I kind of kicked him. Um, I kicked him and I said, I would do it. I'll, I'll do the hard bit. I'll, or I'll, not the hard bit. I'll do the other stuff that you're not interested in doing. Um, and that kind of led to Wild being kickstarted. And that kind of, that got me, that snowballed, that got me started. So then I pursued Tension Upon Mountains. And yeah, that, I found that I, don't necessarily enjoy it, but I can do it. I enjoy the game design. That's a lot of fun. Um, the polished, finished product is uh, is a long step away from 
like I like this kind of bicycle system or whatever. Um, but I found that I could do that and I can keep persevering and pushing forward and I can make that stuff happen. And now I kind of want to make that happen for <laughs> other people as well. Fantastic. Thank you very much. And uh, Tanya? Yeah, so um, uh, as a white, unbearded queer, I... <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Um, no, um, I came at gaming from the age of nine in my granny's bedroom. My cousin sat me down with uh, Advanced Fighting Fantasy. I'd already done for a few years at that point the game solo game books and cracked open Dungeoneer and that was it. I went from that, eventually Warfrip. Games Workshop sucked my soul for a while <laughs> uh, until I sold it to someone who uses it in a game of poker to this day. Um, <laughs> and then basically um, ran games at high school and but from the age of like 10, so I started gaming when I was nine, from the age of 10 I was like designing games, like war games, role play games, board games, anything just to play with myself, with pals, whatever. And then like go forward to the early 90s and you've got like forums like Forge and then later on the Story Games Forum. And these were sort of promoting like, like you don't you can make your game and promote your game and publish your game and not lose your shirt. Okay, you can do this without it being, there were so many people that were trying to like make their own kind of house rules from D&D or whatever like you can make today. But they were doing it in a way that they had to publish loads of big books they thought there was a certain model and they were just they were losing like one or two people lost like homes lost like real real life things and so there was this new wave of like uh self-publishing with lulu and small press publishers there was then the internet sort of like platforms was starting to come together kickstarter came into the the mix at one point and people were doing lots of experimentation and at that point i was like uh, uh, basically at a fork where I was like starting to do a lot more political zine disco stuff and putting together like publications that way and I was at co uh, there was a local collective of game designers called the Collective Endeavour who uh, put a lot of weight on um, a lot of them are still here today at this very event with people involved and I remember being at Compulsion in Edinburgh and approaching them and saying I've got this game design idea and Malcolm Craig who's a uh, uh, like he'll, he'll downplay his own his own genius, but he's he's really great. Turned to me and asked me a really cutting question of why do you want to publish it? Not like in a superficial like why, like really think why you want to publish it because, like you're saying, Stu, like the publishing side of it isn't what you're doing when you're playing the game. It isn't what you're doing when you're designing the game. You've got the game, like you've got the prize, and that's how I felt about it. I've got the prize. I'm playing this great game with my mm -hmm. pals. Why do you want to publish it? And then at that point in my life, I said, actually, I don't. I'm going to shelf it. And then in recent years, a close friend of mine died of COVID. And we'd always talk about publishing some work together. And I've still got some of his artwork that he did for a project that is a future project of mine. And I know that for the what I want to create there, I can't just go on Kickstarter with like, I've never created anything before and I'd like 25,000 pounds of your money, thank you very much. Um, so I've, I've pulled out, I've got this bank of games that I've designed in the past and I'm sort of going through them and taking incremental steps and building an audience, building my skills and building the ability to, to get to this goal I have of publishing this one game. Once that game's done, uh, I officially retire from the gaming <laughs> industry. <laughs> the industry can go crash and burn, and I go back to being a 100% hobbyist for my own my own fun and pleasure. So, yeah, I think that question was the key why. Great, thank you. It's a good answer. Uh, okay, so on to, to sort of publishing. So uh, this is open. Uh, you can jump in and answer this uh, if it comes to you quicker. So where where do you uh where or how do you publish your material uh games or, or other products and what where would you recommend for first-time publishers to approach or, or what angles would you recommend for them to come in at it from uh, so anyone wants to jump in on that i'll go with a, an easy option on this one so the route i went through i went with i start the, the first things i made were D, D products so i just went straight through dm's guild because it's kind of an obvious easy way that is set up there's no kind of licensing issues there. It's like, oh, you want to do something with the D&D product using the D&D names. You don't want to try and hide it and do, oh, let's skirt around a copyright. It's like, no, you're making D&D stuff. You want to publish it. There's a model to do it. It's digital. You're, again, as you kind of alluded to earlier, it's 
you're not putting everything on the line with a uh, quite simple digital product. They may take a larger cut than you might like, but it's an easy and relatively safe way to do it and drive through RPGs similarly, but you get a little bit more control, but obviously you can't use some of the same IPs. And then recently I've gone into uh, Itch in a similar sort of way. You know, again, you get a bit more control, um, but those are nice kind of safe, easy digital marketplaces that a lot of people know about as well. So if someone just happens to be browsing for, oh, I want to buy something new today for under $5, it's a very easy way to get your product seen. I've done much the same thing. Um, I haven't done any D DM Guild stuff, but because uh, I'm not good at D&D, so um, it doesn't make sense. But Itch and Drive Through are are the big ones. Um, I found Itch is very good for smaller games. Like none of my like Aegean doesn't do very well on there. Wild doesn't do very well on there. But the Gaslight Club does. Actually, potentially does. Um, oh, I've got to say, is it John Harper? Is it yeah. yeah. So obviously, John Harper is on there as well. So he he's quite good at promoting. Uh, other forged in the dark games, which is why action potentially is done quite well. Drive through, it's it's a bit old school, um, but everything is there. That that's that's its big win. It's got a lot of content, and for a lot of people, it's their their RP digital RPG library. So mm. it, it pays to get on there. Um, and their cut isn't quite as good as Itch, unfortunately. But uh, but you know, it's still worth doing. I think. Yeah. What are the uh, sort of margins on those, just out of interest for those different sort of so uh, platforms? So drive through by d you've actually got a choice right at the start, and I actually changed my mind on this one. So the yeah. default on there is if you go exclusive with them, they take um, thirty percent off the top of my head. I think so. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, if you decide, uh, but you can only put that product on there and nowhere else at all. I think you can technically publish through your own website. Your own website. Yeah. yeah. If you charge the same price and you aren't undercutting oh, yes. them. Yeah. Um, you can go non-exclusive, they take a slightly bigger cut, it's like 35%, um, and then you can go to other platforms if you want. So I started exclusively on that one, and then when I realized people were going through itch quite a lot, I thought, well, actually, let's <coughs> switch the account over. They take slightly more of my profit on that one, but it means I can start exploring other avenues. But it is a long handover on that one, it's something like six months. So you've got to notify yeah. them and say, right, I want to change it over to a non-exclusive account, and then you twiddle your thumbs for six months waiting. Um, so I it's a sizable cut, but g again, given the fact it's relatively risk-free, it's, yeah. it's not awful, especially if mm. you're starting out. Yeah. Is that extra that exclusivity is that just online, or is that ever? Like, if it's with those two different people, two different times, you get. I'm not you sure can, off the top of my yeah. head. Um, it's exclusive for digital sales only, so you can take physical products mm. too. Yeah, and you can sell through your own website as well. And often as well, because um, where drive through RPG part of the strength that they have as a as a distributor essentially is that they've got partnerships with i believe it's lightning source in europe mm. it might also be in the states i'm not certain where you can have people buying hard copy books that they will print on demand and send out directly to people there um, and another thing that is often the case people quite often will do this as like kickstarter rewards where someone will be sent an at cost coupon so you're literally paying for just the physical printing of it so this hard copy that you bought somewhere else is then just being like create and distribute to you for three quid or something to produce a like a5 hardback book um and i think that's kind of a thing that obviously they ex they accept and expect um but with i don't know the wording of the exclusivity one um but drive through have got a strange like market situation in that they are the biggest, most equivalent thing of this, their website still looks like it was designed in GeoCities. However, it is it's very it's very resilient. It's got a lot of software there. Its library system is as good as it can be for something that you're not personally paying to use as a user, with the exception of the books that you're buying. Um, and the other real benefit to being there as a creator is that there's actually quite a lot of natural flow through of just traffic. So at the bottom of every single page, there's people also bought these. And every single week, there's like most popular under five pounds or most popular indie. And there's a lot of just natural discoverability that you see there. That because of the way the itch is set up, itch is essentially like, it's a bit like how Etsy behaves, where it's a federated storefront where lots of people have got things connected. So without a direct link between, you're unlikely to come across other things connected unless you're looking specifically in through the wider cultural thing. So there's a lot of game jams that take place which will showcase lots of games of a particular theme. But essentially you need to, it's like 
turning up at a convention and you're not allowed to see any of the signs is how itch feels <laughs> whereas if you've been taught oh here's how it works actually it's really quite a powerful thing um, and there's just a lot more control you've got at it from a perspective of how your product looks as a as a designer as well you can control the font choice you can control the colors on the page whereas drive through make those decisions for you um, and it's it's like any online distribution of anything like you look at the difference between like apple and google as digital storefronts and they just are different because of choices that they're made so it's kind of a sense of i find a lot of people are in both places at the moment um and increasingly so selling on their own sites where possible because fees are lower <laughs> there's also worth noting on drive through um there's the affiliate royalty system as well so that actually you get a small cut of sales uh, so if they follow your link with your affiliate code on it, but then don't buy your stuff, but then go on and buy someone else's stuff, you get a tiny little cut of it. And actually, that can be great because it encourages, you know, here are other things that people bought if they bought your thing. So even if you don't get that sale from that link click, they might buy something else, and then actually, you know, you still get a little bit of money out of it, which is quite nice. But again, itch, it feels more like it's in silos. Yeah. Tell you anything? There's another advantage of going to drive through if you're selling your stuff on your own website and you make another dollar a year, you will you will probably incur tax on the back of your if you're trying to sell um, on your own website exclusively, the tax man won't care if you're making over a dollar a year. But if you're making over a dollar a year, you need to make sure profit comes out of your pocket. Mm. It just costs you more money than you're making in your profits on the tax you can get in. Mm. Um, so we 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 switched to drive through exclusive just so we could get around that we went drive through exclusive because then every time there was a mail slot it doesn't matter we had kind of the best registration for any of the other kind of channels who uh, didn't pay for the registry that much so <laughs> it took us how long to rent the list for 22 yeah. minutes <laughs> 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 um yeah i i want to sort of bring it away from just the digital mm. only world like we sort of went there with drive through and mm -hmm. their print on demand mm -hmm. but looking at if you want something with low risk going down the crowdfunding route, okay? Um, it's like, I got into doing the role-play game side of it. I mentioned with fanzines, it's for Slay Industries. I've done a, a, a love letter to uh, another Scottish indie of old. Um, and so my uh, reason for doing that is Kickstarter sent me an email saying, we've got a new promotion coming up. It's called Zine Quest. <laughs> you know that zine you've always wanted to do? Do it now and make us money. And I was like, <laughs> Actually, yeah, I've got this idea that I've wanted to do for years because there was this zine culture within clubs that I'd been part of in the past. There was a zine culture around Slay Industries already, but it always dealt with it in terms of people wanting to make cool new gear or cool new class or something. And I wanted to do something that was like a love letter to the setting. That's what always drew me. Like the, the rules take it or leave it for me, but the setting was like so beautiful, the art was amazing, that, that sort of drew me in and I wanted to express that and I knew other people wanted to as well. And so I'd put together this sort of like, I'd been making zines for 15 years, that part of it was easy, but the, the kickstarting, like using Kickstarter as my crowdfunding platform and there's so much good information that is so close at hand. Any, like, any of the sort of small indies and mid-tier producers that are about, there are very few that will tell you to F off. <laughs> they will give you the, the, like such good information. They will break down everything they have done to get to where they are and produce so, like, give you so much help. And I, I feel like I, I do the same. I try and do the same for other people around me. And I know everyone here on the panel is in the same boat. It's like interesting. You've, you've, you've literally opened one of my next questions yeah. there. So it was, okay, was cool. going to be about, um, do you do any collaboration with other creators mm. or get, you know, work together or get support from other collaborators? Uh, how do you find that? And are there any communities or particular groups that you, you've had experience with that have helped you on your journeys or, or supported you at all? Shall I, shall I just sort of just say continue on? Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. okay. So, um, really good like back in the day it was like the forge and sorry games forums for me that were really good there was also a bunch of osr blogs going about from people coming from that direction um then there was g plus if anyone remembers google's social yeah. media that nobody in the world used apart from games designers <laughs> <laughs> like we were all there um and it was magic because it was organized the way we need to organize and nobody else um and then nowadays, unfortunately, Twitter has sort of filled a lot of that void. 
but so it, which is public facing, and then Discord for the sort of more private facing stuff. And so what I've been trying to do is like this zine quest, which is running at the moment, just about to finish up. I've been trying to hoover up every small zine producing game designer onto one. What we've got a zine, a zine creators workshop Discord that was set up a, cu a couple of zine quests ago to try and like create those bonds that we used to have. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's harder in some ways now because like Twitter is a box of angry hornets that you have to put your <laughs> head into now and again. And, um, but there's, yeah, pass it on to the, the panel. Oh, yeah. and Twitter, Twitter has been a big, big help. I mean, yeah. it is an angry box of hornets and it's kind of risky. Uh, Reddit is also mm -hmm. something that's gone up. I think, are you like one of the moderators for RPG, RPG creation? creation? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so that's been a big help. That and RPG design, but yeah. that that had some issues which <laughs> may have gone away. Reddit is also a, it's a shit show. I mean, it's a, it's a <laughs> big box of angry, angry hornets. You can get some great advice there. You can also just get <sighs> people picking on the most smallest thing just because they want to. Shout um, out to user space oddity. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> wherever you are in the world, wherever you are in the world, please stop picking on new designers if yeah. you're listening to this. Yeah, yeah, it, it can be awful for that. But if you can stick it out, you can get some very good advice there. So it is, it is worth doing. I find it's terrible for promotion. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, everyone agrees. Um, yes. But yeah, so Reddit, Reddit has been a big help in a lot of ways, and Twitter, of course. And yeah, ask people. Um, I had no idea how to hire an artist the first time I did that, but the simple solution was email some people, ask them questions, and mm -hmm. they'll know how, how they're, they're doing it. They, they, the artists themselves know what they want from you, and, and they will just happily tell you. That's what they always done. I think there's two really, really good points there. Um, I think the first one is that Twitter is hit and miss. It yeah. really is. You know, it's great for collaborations and reaching out to people, but actually the self-promotion aspect is it's really, really tough. You know, it, it seems like it should be good. There's a lot of popular hashtags that are used for self-promotion, but then it just becomes a mess. It's like, well, actually, my Saturday is entirely just seeing people yeah. self-promoting, self-promoting, and actually it's really hard to actually find what you want to see. Sometimes if you get lucky and something you know, gets a bit of momentum to it, the algorithm is your friend and then it, you know, people see it and it's great. But it's very, very hit and miss. Um, the other one I think actually that you said there is you know, the community is really nice to each other, genuinely. Yeah. There are a couple of awful people out there. <laughs> but you know, nine times out of ten, if you say, look, let's say you want to reach out to an artist. Like, and say, well, I don't have any artistic skills of my own. I want some art in this because actually if it was just black text on white, you know, no one's going to buy it. But you really admire like an indie artist or something, or even you know a bigger artist. You know, drop them a message. You know, the worst people can say is no, thank you, I'm not interested, or this is you know the fee I'm going to charge, and it's maybe way outside of your budget. But actually, you know, everyone is encouraging. Mm. You know, and actually, you'll get a lot of you know indie artists who will say, I'm willing to do it for a royalty cut. You know, you know, I really like that idea. I understand you don't have the budget, so actually, I'm happy to do a royalty cut on this. And there are a couple of platforms that do that really well. Again, Drive Through is pretty good because. Mm. You know, if you want to set it up as well, actually 50% of all my profits go to this other person who I collaborated with, that's great and a very easy mechanism for getting that. So I think the community is really supportive. It's just the promotion aspect that can be really hard. Mm. I think one of the things, uh, one other thing, if like it's, it's fine to accept if someone says, oh, I'm happy to do this for a cut, but like, also I don't think you were, you were suggesting that people ask, it's like, hey, do you want to do a thing? You can get some profit if we win. That's spec work, spec work's yeah, bad, no, don't no, do that. No, no. Um, it's, it's different if somebody says, I'm interested in taking part, I'm also personally willing to like, wait until we all get paid from this as a thing. I think one thing that's worth noting essentially is work out what you feel you lack and it doesn't necessarily be to fill out the rest of the thing. So I'm, I'm not an artist, so I stole some art from a man from the 17th century. I paid someone else to have some stock art. There's, there's ways of fixing that. But at a baseline of, is it mentorship you're looking for? Is it companionship? Um, is it just that you want somebody to do different roles that you can't personally do? And these all, these all existed. You probably already know someone who, could, who, if you ask them, where can I go to talk to people who have done some really intense art design or like art direction? And if they don't know, they may know somebody who does, and so they can pass on this way. And I think the other side of things that, and it's it's really tricky when it's coming from the perspective of publishers, especially if they're like independent, in, even individual publishers. Um, 
that marketing itself is a weird thing but often hell the reason that all of you not you lot but all of you that i'm currently pointing to that can't hear because you're in the future um the reason you're listening to this is half of the other thing like there are content factories functionally you've got broadcasts you've got streams you've got podcasts you have um twitch channels you've got all of these different creators who need to produce a certain amount of top of product and are often on the lookout for, ver for a variety of different things and it's just a case of finding someone that you vibe with mm -hmm. and either they can put you in touch with someone or they might be able to manage the thing themselves um because everyone needs somebody else in the, like in the whole of an ecosystem if every single person was someone who just ate wood and then produced air then the world wouldn't work you need all of these people to drink air and produce wood that's massively oversimplifying biology <laughs> um so yeah ecosystem excellent um some, some really valuable insight i have loads more questions but i'm conscious about monopolizing your time and i want to make sure that the audience get a chance to ask some questions so i'll come back to them if we do run out but for now i'm going to pass over to to our uh, assembled mass here for some questions ryan does have a microphone that he will uh run around i say run <laughs> stagger around with uh first question over there thank you very much uh, just actually to follow on from what you were just saying there, um, if you were to take the average Joe Gamer with no skills in publication or anything other than just a bunch of ideas, what would you say is the number one professional skill they should work on in order to actually get anywhere with this? Is it marketing? Is it layout? <coughs> what is the thing that people tend not to actually have that they should bloody well work on if they actually want to get anywhere? Uh, I'm aware that this... This, this is now for you lot here in the room rather than the audio I'll describe it afterwards uh, it's this I was going to say the same thing yeah. writing the skills the ability to not, not even just the writing but the ability to write something and then put the pen down and to get to a point of finish something um, finishing as an act and again so that's part of the reason why again plug time some of the stuff that I make are very very small and admittedly I've, I've made bigger things and I've condensed them to this site but a, a way of rather than deciding that you're going to make the world's greatest role-playing game and it's going to be a thousand pages long you might do that and actually you may be the next great thing that does this but the habit of being able to get to a point where you are done with something um and also i can't remember who's who the quote's attributed to but the idea that like art's never finished but abandoned you need to reach a point where you're like i'm happy that this is now the place in which it goes out um functionally everything else you can pay someone to do um you can't pay someone to tell you to stop well, you can they're called an editor uh, <laughs> i also do editing work please don't make thousand page rpgs <laughs> that too. too many it's definitely a tangential point but i think it is a very valid one that is i think the biggest trap for someone starting off with this is right i'm gonna make you know i it's the equivalent of saying right i'm gonna write lord of the rings you know i've got this idea and it's huge and someone's gonna buy it and it's gonna be massive and i'm gonna be successful it's like maybe but don't do that first you know do little things you know i've got a great idea compartmentalize take one bit of it that you, you really love and you think other people will really love make that make it well then say right it's done get it put it out there people might get it people might not but you haven't taken that huge gamble on the magnum opus um uh, with regards to skills that i think is worth having i mean absolutely knowing when to stop is very very important and i think uh if it's not you I mean, it's, al it's always a good idea to have someone else read your stuff because they will spot stuff that you don't. But having basic proofreading skills of, you know, if I read this aloud to myself, does it actually make sense? You know, so having that, you know, knowledge and understanding of does this sound good? Does this make sense? Does it mean the thing I meant it to mean? Yeah. And the other thing I would say is basic design of it, you know, you know, just so if, because inevitably with any kind of preview, someone's going to look at a page of it. You know, they'll see the first, the front cover first of all, and then they'll maybe see whatever screenshot you put up as the first interior preview. And if it looks really ugly, or if it looks really hard to read, and that comes down to sensible choice of font and stuff, it might look pretty, but if it's difficult to read, it's not good. You know, just so they take that next step with you. They said they like the cover, the, the thumbnail of, you know, whatever preview pages you've got looks pretty good, great they're going to take the next leap and maybe they'll look actually read it maybe they will take a gamble and spend you know a dollar 95 on it yeah. but if you've just got to make sure that it doesn't look hideous that people go no no not going to bother at this stage because it doesn't matter how good the writing is 
if you know that thumbnail looks bad they're not going to go for it can i jump in on a super related point just a really brief one a lot of people will look for other examples of what makes good layout design uh, which is often good but people will tend to look within their own spheres almost exclusively um i imagine every single person in this room and every single person listening has at least one cookbook in their house and cookbooks are probably the single best place for entertaining but precise technical writing um and they are a way bigger industry than we are so <laughs> steal their best advice and they have the pretty pictures as well oh, which yeah. is so yeah. into common in italy <laughs> um, so i think my my skill i think we should have is writing skills so much communication these days is written rather than verbal and obviously with a, an rpg you are writing a textbook which has to be understood by people so i think that's something that you uh, everything else you know if you're in a good position you can hire you can hire an editor you can hire a artist um i don't think there aren't many i, I don't know how, how, how much of your rpgs do you do you work on like everything yourself i mean i know i certainly don't it's like the writing and the game design is mine depends on the product yeah, you know yeah. a lot of it i mean i am is my, my own worst enemy at trying to do a lot by myself but i know what i can't do yeah, and therefore right, i don't right. you know flog the yeah. dead horse trying to do it i know what i need to reach out to someone else for yeah, yeah. But but absolutely the writing yeah, yeah yeah i don't think you can pass up on that you have to have the good writing skills mm -hmm. and it takes practice and and you know it is a skill it can be developed mm. i actually agree with everything that's been said but i'm going to put something new into the mix rather than just go oh yeah 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 that. <laughs> um a lot of people come on to like design forums or onto like the RPG creation Reddit, uh, and they sort of go, "I've got this great idea, and this is it's going to be it's going to revolutionise roleplay gaming, and it's going to be amazing." And but and then you say, "Oh great, can I take a look?" And they're like, "No, <laughs> someone might steal it." <laughs> and I just want everyone listening to, to understand that nobody is going to steal your game. Be brave, get it out there, play it lots, go on to s Discord servers, forums, social media, run your game lots at conventions, get it out there and play it. Like, obviously after playing it, like make sure the writing is tight, that, that's mm -hmm. really important, but if people aren't playing your game in advance, you could have the best game in the world sat there and you've not shown it to anyone and nobody will buy it. Mm -hmm. Very nice. Excellent. Thank you. Some uh, really helpful answers there, I hope. Great question as well. Thank you. Uh, any other questions? Thank you. And that was a really great set of answers. I guess mine's a bit similar, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What's the most important biggest mistake you make and, and make and make <laughs> it anyway you know to learn from i think the biggest one i've made is over promising on a kickstarter it was doing really well and i got carried away <laughs> and now i'm doing three books instead of one um, <laughs> that's probably the biggest biggest financial impact mistake that i've made i think I've got a list, there's probably more, <laughs> um, but that's probably the one that's had the biggest impact on uh, my, my single biggest mistake, which I don't recommend others make, I don't think you need to make it to get better, I think you can learn from this one. Um, so contingencies are really useful, like having specific space in the budget for if things go wrong. And when I was doing my calculations before I did, I did a Kickstarter for a game called Exuvier, which is a 1940s horror noir. Uh, it plays one shots, uses a pack of cards, doesn't need any preparation beyond knowing the rules. Um, and I had put a contingency in for, okay, so if if things go wrong, I've got this ex this literal bucket of extra 10% cash to spend out in different places. And I needed to use about half of that in the end for things that I hadn't quite considered, mostly because of shifts in how the postage was working. This was about four years ago before the posting got really nightmarish. We funded more effectively than I expected. So I ended up making, was it 240% of my target, which meant I then bought more art. And I hadn't taken into account the fact that there would be additional time needed. So I'd missed the contingency of the time in the planning. Um, and so essentially the whole thing was late by a year because although I had the cash to do things, I couldn't, I couldn't throw more money at Jacopo and get him to just like draw more quickly because there's only a certain amount of time. Um, and that's, that's the biggest mistake I have made. Ooh. 
Uh, I don't know. I've, I've alluded to some already. I mean, I, I say I didn't try and write Lord of the Rings, but I know that the first thing I made was some. I, th- I think there was t- actually two issues of that first thing. I'm happy to say it. The first thing I ever put on the DM sphere was something called Monsters Unleashed, which was kind of what you expect. It's like, well, let's have some horror-related, monstrous-related uh, races or kin for D and D. Sounds fine. Perfectly viable concept. The first thing I decided to do was try and make something too big. Uh, whereas I should have started smaller. And secondly, I didn't do enough research about, you know, I foolishly, half poor naive me, thought, you know, that this is something vaguely original. It's not that original. It's an obvious thing to go to. There's, you know, in that space, is always going to want people who want vampire characters and werewolf characters and all that kind of stuff. And actually, as a first product to launch myself with, I should have gone with something that I thought was genuinely original. Research the space first. Um, and then produce your first products, you know. And again, it doesn't have to be big. It can just be a tiny little thing that's kind of novelty, and people go, ooh, that's nice, and it's cheap. I'll take a chance on it. So I wouldn't say it's a gigantic mistake, but I definitely learned from it. And now you don't have to make that mistake. Uh, it's certainly good to start with something small, because you, mm-hmm. can, you can make those mistakes on a small scale rather mm-hmm. before yeah. you get bigger, definitely. So, yeah, um, I'll learn what the bleed is, <laughs> and, the, and the gutter, <laughs> and... Like some other basics of layout because uh, this thankfully didn't happen to any of my games, but back when I was starting doing zine stuff, like at first it was just like photocopying stuff, cutting things out, <laughs> pasting it so it doesn't really c- enter into it. And then you get digital and you maybe download like a free like layout, layout program and you try to s- scrape it together yourself. And you don't realize when you send that to the printer, they're going to cut all around the edge and that, that blade might be. Two, three millimetres doesn't sound like much, but it's a lot. So, yeah, um, thankfully it was on nothing important, but you learn the lesson. One thing I like about the point you made there, just about starting small as well, I think, uh, personally, I buy a lot of, of RPG material, and if I go on to, like, uh, whether it's drive through or if I'm in a brick-and-mortar store and I see, like, a new publisher I'll, or a new writer, I'll tend to go for something smaller to actually get bought into their material. So if they've got like a 99p PDF or you know five pound pamphlet or whatever, I'll I'll purchase that, and then if I like that, I'm more likely to go for something a bit bigger as well. Mm-hmm. So that's I think that's good for getting almost your customer loyalty, people who are interested in your work as well. So that's a really really good suggestion, a uh, good question. Thank you very much. Uh, any other questions? Thanks. Um, just on that point about uh, sort of, uh, I think you mentioned knowing what you're getting into and, and perhaps researching and, and understanding things. Um, obviously, with, with a lot of what we're talking about here, uh, RPGs, rule systems, uh, you know, you're, you're trying to break away and, and develop along the line that you think's um, more unique, but there's, there's, you know, it's impossible to reinvent the wheel. Um, how do you sort of uh, check against what you've done in terms of originality and... and and not getting sued by certain companies. Or <laughs> 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 oh, wizards knocking at your door. Exactly. Um, so my, most of my awareness of like pure copyright law stuff comes from uh, a performing side. My uh, The best lecture I ever saw about copyright law was uh, from a magician called Guy Hollingsworth, who by day is a barrister. He's, he's incredible. He's basically <laughs> the Hugh Grant of magic. Lovely man. Um, and functionally, so long as you don't copy someone, it's okay. Um, and at a very basic level and also my my background in literature is medieval english where there is nothing new like the greatest writer that we consider in british language is shakespeare typically who took every single one of his stories from other stories that were passing around and just wrote it himself um humans are very bad at copying things and therefore every copy that we make even of something that's inspired us is still going to have its own unique version and person list if you are actively making something in conversation with other texts, um, it's just important to know what you are and aren't allowed to do. Um, so for instance, one of the real benefits about publishing on the DMs Guild is you are explicitly allowed access to the, um, the specific IP of the, char- like of the concept in there, the trademark thing. So a beholder can only exist in Dungeons & Dragons. Um, in anything else, it can be an eye tyrant or a gazer, although gazer might be covered as well, I'm not sure. Um, even down to like things that you wouldn't necessarily expect, like a carrion crawler, which is just a little grubbly caterpillar slug monster. Thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that expe- specifically, if you use that, you're culpable for the trademark in this. Um, 
whether or not it's two things being too similar to something else, I don't necessarily think that's a problem unless you are trying to take something and copy it. Um, and frankly, I think being, being authentic is more important than being original and making something that is true to what you want it to be is actually going to be more effective than trying to make something that is unlike anything else. Because um, even at the point which Stu was talking about, like a load of really exciting design is going on in the margins of big game systems. So there's a load of Forge in the Dark stuff at the moment. Historically, there's a load of Power by the Apocalypse. Mm. Um, at the moment, there's kind of like belonging outside belonging, various game systems where everyone expects and understands the core. And then there's three or four things just like chucked in elsewhere that that's where a load of the really exciting design's going on. Mm. So even then, actually, like design movements are still sometimes worth being part of. Um, but baseline, don't copy, and then you won't get told off. And also, you only need one unique selling point for your product, you know? Um, one thing that makes it a little bit different that will intrigue someone and go, actually, I've not seen that before. The whole thing doesn't have to be original. In fact, especially if you go grand with it, that mm. could be intimidating. If the whole thing is different, you know, then someone's not gonna take a chance on it. But if it's just got some little thing, which is a, a nice little mechanic that someone's never seen before, or a nice little law thing that someone's never seen before, that's enough to interest them. It doesn't have to be, you know, grand and massive and ridiculous and unique. It can, it can be one little thing. And then make sure you advertise that thing. Don't hide it. Uh, yeah, yeah, so um, this builds on my show your, show your work to other people first. So that's the, the sort of baseline for this. But the next level on that is show you're working, okay? My games have got like an influences and thanks page and it's really clear about where I've, I've been thinking about. All my games, you can go and look up the Spotify playlist that I make as I'm <laughs> making the game and you can like listen to it and get a feel for things. And I, I, I put down like fiction, non-fiction, uh, go down to the handiwork booth downstairs and there's a bunch of stickers, each with a unique QR code on it. And each one takes you to a different thing that influenced the game that I made with them. Okay, so if you show what your working is, people can then tell you if it's like, actually that's not that good or that's great or yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think if you read every game that I've read and read all the books that I've read and movies and TV and whatnot, you'd go, you've never done anything original. Because I don't <laughs> think I have. Like, I can kind of pinpoint influences from different things. Like Aegean is a D10 dice pool system, that's vampire. Um, the health system is maybe a no, actually no, I couldn't think of that <laughs> thing. No, yeah, so it, I don't think I've done anything original, but like w what you were saying, there's something unique that comes from merging those different influences mm -hmm. that people may not have done before, but the stuff itself isn't necessarily unique. And I think that's quite good. I mean, you can like rip on other stuff, you can like reuse other stuff. Obviously, um, copyright law uh, yes. permitting, yeah. 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 which is mainly IP, I think, mm -hmm. yeah. and one of the things I like about that as well that you kind of said that you can you can almost do obviously you wouldn't say this officially but when you're describing something to someone you can say oh you know it's Lord of the Rings in space and then you know you've got your unique spin but you can identify it to things that have influenced you so someone's like oh well, I like Lord of the Rings I like space so this is something I'd be really interested in I see you I see you're selling Star Wars to us yeah <laughs> pretty much yeah. oh damn <laughs> <laughs> there is there is a certain sense of that where and again the thing that's close to that and again it's the sort of thing that you're allowed a certain, um, and again, it's tricky as to exactly where you can do, but the the technical term related to it is passing off the idea that it looks as if it's being explicitly endorsed by something else. So you can make a connection, but if the way in which you're making a connection makes it seem like they're saying, yeah, that's great, play this way, that's when it kind of gets really tricky. Um, my shortcut for it is, could a drunk in a rush mistake it for genuine? If so, then it's probably too close. Um, go to like discount supermarkets and look at just how close their materials are to things that you recognize, but also spot just how different they are. And it's that same sort of split with things, I suppose. Cool, thank you very much. Hope that answers your question. Uh, excellent, uh, any other questions? Yes. Uh, hi, um, let's just say uh, you're making a digital product, RPG product, and um, you've not involved anyone else, so it's just your own time that's been put into it but uh, maybe you've spent a lot of time doing it. How do you decide on a price point for it? Um, and if I could have a follow-up, what do you think of pay what you want product? Good question. I have opinions on this other just because I like what it says. Yeah. <laughs> I mostly pull my prices out of my ass. <laughs> 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 um, 
Figuratively. Fig- fig- yeah, figuratively, yeah. Um, <laughs> Different UK. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 that's new to me as well. Yeah, um, yeah I don't know. I, I look at comparative products to see what their price range is like. In theory, I, I know that I should like value my time and put a price on that and, and figure out all the cost and artwork and everything, but, but my time is obviously worthless and I know that I'll recoup the artwork cost eventually and most of the time it's creative stuff anyway, but digital products, I mostly just think what will people pay and what else is in the space that's of a similar scale. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's fairly random. Um, my, mine are fourteen ninety nine for a GM, uh, and interestingly, the quick start is a hundred pages. That's fourteen ninety nine. The book of adventures, which is five separate adventures, is one hundred and fifty pages, and that's usually twelve ninety nine um, digital. Oh, sorry, pa- um, no dollars as long as I have to. Um, yeah, um, wild as a digital product is a bit more. I think that's about twenty, uh, and again, that's around a hundred pages. Um, and people will pay that price. People like if what you're presenting is uh, has a quality to it um, and looks professional, then people are prepared to pay. Gen- or people are prepared to give it a go. You know, mm-hmm. um, I don't know how many people have pulled, uh, uh, like taken some of the stuff I've done uh, via discounts. Um, I'm, there are often sales and things, um, but some people do pay full price if they know what you're doing is good that's that's definitely an important one there i mean absolutely and i do the same thing sometimes the pulling out the arse thing but um but it's look, look at similar things if you're making a book of well this is a new subclass for something you know it's very easy to go well i'm just gonna search for other people's subclasses of a similar page count and what are they charging because you should absolutely make it the same cost because otherwise you are overcharging or undercharging immediately if it's a brand new game that's trickier in which case yeah you kind of start in the same place of going well actually a full game that of that sort of page count with a similar dedication to amount of art or lack thereof you know go for a similar amount but make sure you charge something where you are happy to do discounts and sales without making a loss to give yourself a bit of a buffer on there i mean that's what i do with little bit fierce so i go well it's about 100 and 150 pages odd you know, you can play it on your own. So the default price is nineteen ninety five. That's kind of reasonable for what people charge for this. But I do regular sales. I do two dollars off. I do three dollars off. You know, it's my birthday tomorrow. You can get it for five dollars off, and I'm happy to pay that. And that's fine. Really subtle there, Dave. Um, <laughs> but you know, make sure you can. You're not just going. Well, actually, I have to sell it at this price, or I don't make any profit at all. That's ridiculous. And you know. Do take into account the amount of words you put into it. Otherwise, it's a little bit silly. Mm. And I think related to that, it's wi- if it's a d- always a digital-only product um, and you only intend for it to be digital, you've essentially you've already covered almost all of your costs. Unless you're if you're hosting it on your own and you're having to pay web hosting costs, which is very unlikely. Um, for the most part, once it's done, it's not costing anything more. Whereas if you are selling a physical copy of a book. You've got all of the like the cost of the paper and the printing and the shipping to consider before you do stuff. Um, the I almost consider it in the same way that if you again look so the same way that Dave was explaining like what the rest of the market's looking like. Um, so in a load of places you can buy um, a cup of coffee for one pound or you can buy a cup of coffee for three pounds, and the way in which those are sold are very different. Um, so you can just like turn up little kiosk in in your train station pay for a pound of coffee it's probably instant there you go it's caffeine it's what you need on this point or you can go into a place that's personally roasted their beans for you and you can sit here in this comfortable chair and so there's a certain split between essentially there is no innate value in in a thing beyond what people are going to take from it at this point so if you want to sell them a really nice like a very nice beautifully written (coughs) um excitingly produced pdf that people will want to sit down and, and pay a lot of attention to, then you can sell that as that is the value in this situation here. Um, on the flip side, if you're just wanting the information to get out there, like blogs are a really good way of doing things. Some of the most successful stuff in the, like the old school role playing at the moment is um, essentially like a little almanac collection of um, things. I think they're about to they're about to raise money for the fourth one um, and a series of things called Knock. And what that is is it's literally just 80 or so blog posts and articles that have just been collated given new uh, new layout and then being presented in this in this pleasant way 
Um, as to your second point, I don't think pay what you want is useful to creators at all um, in that it's very, very rare. And I've seen it from, admittedly, everything is anecdotal because it's just what, peop what information people are willing to share about these things. Typically, pay what you want tends to earn less than any other system, including giving it away for free with possibility of tip. Um, theoretically, there's a chance of it. Um, and like it's, if, the, if the system requires you to kind of enable it that way of saying, here's a minimum price, but you can pay more if you'd like to, it's useful. Some people will always like to tip. Um, but I often find, so a lot of the ways that I will produce things is I will release them for a specific ticket price of like $3 often. And again, that's for an A6 postcard of a game that if people really want to do it, because this is a luxury product, you can find all of the rules online, but if you want this nice little tiny thing you can put up on your phone and it's there and it's got the nice cover art, then it is a distinct thing that you can get. But also I'll say, so okay, get it for this, but if you cannot afford to pay, you can also pick it up for free. And that's just a thing I can afford to do because I know I'm gonna get enough sales in the long run just through doing it this way around as well. Um, selling it but also offering it entirely free at the same time i think is something that's useful if you're doing a digital only product um there's basically I, d I don't see there being any benefit specifically to using pay what you want um unless it is forced upon you as part of the system if you would have otherwise of like if that's the only way you can have it that someone can tip you if they need to but otherwise it doesn't really work in this scene Anyone need to add to that? Or I, to I actually have the numbers for you on pay what, pay what you want. It doesn't work. Yeah. We did it for um, some of our products and it garnered us less money. We do have a case where pay what you want is actually very useful and worth doing. And that is when you're giving away a quick start for free. You want pay as you pay what you want so that people can pay 5, 10p or 50p or whatever. That works towards your drive through medal. You don't get drive-through medals off free giveaways, but you do off pay what you want at our 5p or 10p or more. And that's where pay what you want is useful. Mm. Don't use it as your pricing point for your books. And uh, when I'm saying experience, we've done, I think we had six products out at pay what you want. And when we turned them over, just PDFs to 2.99, we made much, much more. Mm. And we charge 20 quid for a book on PDF because we're capitalists. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and also the, the other thing I remembered is that um, I'm, I'm a writer and an editor. I'm, I'm not a rich man, um, <laughs> but I am selling to rich people. And there are rich people who would more than happily go and spend a hundred quid just on a random lunch. And yeah. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> but in the same sense, those people exist and want to pay money. And so I'm happy to let people pay what they feel is correct. And sometimes that's the case of saying, hey, do you want to buy this book? Really nice quality. This will cost you 50 quid. And people are like, yeah, that's perfect. It's exactly what I want. Like this seg also segues also into the previous um, panel that was here mm. about accessibility in gaming, and one of the questions raised there was about economic accessibility. And from a personal standpoint, when we're talking about uh, a PDF or electronic copy only, um, I, I absolutely think it should be at least accessible for free. Okay, uh, like all my games, all everything I produce that has a, digi a digital option. I make it for free, either it's unlimited community copies on itch, or I just put it out there somehow, I have it hosted somewhere that you could just go into a Google link and just pull it down. Uh, also put up with like, BC News got a $10 price tag on it mm. that I just randomly pulled out my bottom. Uh, <laughs> different meeting. Uh, <laughs> and, um, but the, the reason for that is more to do with, uh, to get involved with bundles you have to have a paid game on itch. So I wanted, and I also wanted it to be like, that is the labor cost involved for me, as far as I'm concerned. But also like, I, I, I miss the Trove. The Trove was, I, I've been on the dole, I've been on benefits. Uh, I've been in a really shit situations, being homeless. And sites where you can get games for free were so, so uh, a lifeline for me in terms of just keeping my, my marbles, as many of them as mm -hmm. I could because you, you can't put a price on sitting down with your pals and gaming. Okay, so if you're doing a di digital product, I don't see any reason that it isn't somewhere for free. Charge, charge by all means, put up, pay what you want, whatever, like I think people can 
take like I get I've got a, a demo <coughs> version of my my upcoming game Lowride Red Empire mm. and it's just there like pay what you want because it's a free demo just you can pay zero but the amount ev- like every few days I'll get like two dollars five dollars twenty dollars like <laughs> like it's it's ten pages of A4 with no art like come on <laughs> I especially um, think in those situations, the the quick like the free quick start materials are yeah. really really good for that, just yeah. to get people in the door and get them interested. Yeah. Um, there's so many games that I wasn't really interested in, but I've picked up a free supplement and I've read it and I've been like, I'm now going to go and spend sixty quid on this book because mm-hmm. that's so much better than I thought it was. And if that wasn't there, I never would have spent that money. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point. I think the audience is important there as yeah. well, especially if you're thinking about you know, the economic yeah. cost of that one. I mean, like I said, if especially if you're going into the family friendly aimed at kids mm-hmm. scene you know i mean i'm a dad with a two and a half year old you know and actually you know, i know money can be tight at times so if you're offering you know here's a great experience you can have with your kid but it costs an absolute fortune those aren't compatible no. so having the community copy option of look if you want to play this and money's tight here's a copy for free please yeah. have fun with your kid and that's wonderful when the world james workshop just (laughs) (laughs) no i shall charge what i want they they are big listeners of ours they you know they're gonna be really angry about this (laughs) i think unfortunately that is all the time we've got uh we've actually run over a little bit there so i'd like to say thank you to all our panelists if you give them a big round of applause for their uh, fantastic presentation Thank you all for, for coming along and for your questions. I uh, hope you got some benefit from it. If you do want to listen back to it, it will be up on the Unlucky Frog uh, Gaming Podcast on Sunday, all being well if editing goes to plan. Um, but otherwise, enjoy the rest of your convention, and thank you very much for coming. Take care. Thank you, Dave. Thanks, thank you. Thank you.